right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How y'all doing this grand morning? Uh, as he said, I'm a uh, Pastor Chris, and it is my honor to continue uh, to preach on the book of Mark. Uh, we've been talking about the book of Mark for a few weeks here, and I'm excited to be teaching uh, today as we enter Holy Week. Amen? Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, especially here in the Midwest, there's something about being here that keeps us in a state of anticipation as we anticipate if it's the weather, if it's the Final Four, March Madness, whatever it may be, we're in this anticipation of this new season uh, of things. And um, this type time of year, perhaps even spiritually and within our souls, there might be a longing or an anticipatory feel during Holy Week, uh, the week that we remember the journey of Christ entering into the city in celebration that ultimately ends in a death. However, there is holy resurrection. Despite what you might think about Easter, there are traditions, right, that families partake in. Even if it's not celebrating Easter during this time, then you have a tradition of not celebrating Easter, whatever the case it is. There's a tradition that you hold. Uh, however, some people are like, what? I don't celebrate. I don't celebrate tradition. There you go. However, there's a large majority of folks that attend services. You dress up, or you have some family things, or you barbecue if the weather's right here. Uh, but whatever the case, there's a lot of different kind of traditions that take place during this time of year. And as I was doing this message, I remember that uh, when my wife and I were young parents of three beautiful girls, shout out to y'all, <laughs> now they're embarrassed, but uh, we would love this time of year because we did want to dress them up in, the, in their dresses and things like that. And oftentimes, um, uh, one of their grandmothers would give them some dresses. I don't know if we ever had to buy an Easter dress, but, uh, and we would look forward to the day that we would get to uh, dress them up and go to church. And we was at a different church when they were younger, but uh, my wife, my beautiful wife, is an essential worker. So her beautiful essential working self, sometimes she was, wasn't able to uh, be at the Easter service. So that left solo dad. And I took pride in those days, so much so that I enrolled in a ponytail boot camp. And uh, I think I got the ponytails down. We could maybe look at some old pictures today, later, to see if, if, if I had passed the test. But it felt good that I would be able to boldly walk into the church uh, with my three girls in their Sunday's best, dressed by dad. I remember one, uh, uh, one, one didn't go as planned. I was in a rush. I was kind of frazzled. I just remember getting there hurrying up and throwing them into the kids' um, nursery or whatever. Not throwing them. But I remember there was, uh, you know, some of the ladies in this church that we were at. It was a fairly big church, so we had to check them into their, each of their separate little rooms. I remember one of the ladies, they were good friends with us at that time, and they were like, what did you put in her hair? And I was like, man, I just sprayed some, some hold spray in that piece. You know what I mean? It's windy out there. And their head was as hard as a helmet, man. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm trying, you know what I'm saying? So I know that I try, I try. But there was kind of a running joke that, you know, people would kind of look out for the grand entrance when I would come in. And my wife would be working, they'd be like, oh, wonder how they dress this time. Wonder how they are dressed this time. But 
that is a good memory, but today we get to see Christ's grand entrance. And believe it or not, with all the talk surrounding Jesus during that time, what it looked like kind of did matter to the people. Um, the entrance did matter. And uh, what Jesus wore, what he traveled into Jerusalem on, his vehicle of transportation, that all mattered. And all was a part of the bigger picture. It all mattered to people for many reasons. Because this was Jesus who was to come as the king of kings. So today, uh, we get a front row seat in seeing how he was received by the people uh, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be in the book of Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. And it all starts again the week before what we call Easter and Palm Sunday. So we have a tradition where uh, we stand as you're able in spirit um, and as you are able in the reading of God's word. Bibles are available. You can take one that's out in the lobby area or log into your favorite Bible app. But Mark 11, 1 through 11, and we'll read today's passage. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are y'all doing? Untying the coat. And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. It's a blessing uh, to join together this morning to worship you, to fellowship together with your spirit. May you open our ears and hearts to receive your word today. Help us to understand what it means to put our trust in you more and more. It's my prayer today that we could be encouraged to act on your word today, to envision this text and immerse ourselves inside your story. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So going through this passage, um, some of you that have been with, with us for a while have heard me kind of brag about it or talk about it, but it always means something a little bit different to me uh, ever since visiting the Holy Land a few years ago. I mentioned before that we are blessed as a church, I believe. All the teachers, all the teaching team on separate occasions the last few years have had the opportunity uh, to visit biblical locations. Greg and I have been to the Holy Land uh, on separate occasions. Pastor Jen has been to many places, a lot of places. You could play Where in the World is Jen uh, at some points. Uh, but she's been to biblical places, uh, places that Paul has traveled when he was preaching. But there's an important realization that we all have kind of come together and back uh, when we talk about our trips, that we've appreciated the richness of the role that geography does play in the scriptures. Um, and I got to go and experience the geography of the Holy Land, which kind of puts this story in like 5D, like, you know, 
like you're actually immersed in it and you feel the heat and you get to see, <laughs> he's laughing because you know what I'm saying, it's hot and you get to see that it's not just these paved roads. And I'm always, um, I'm always just amazed at how there's a lot of, of, of traveling in the scriptures and it's so fast that it happens that we can miss the humanity of the story. Jesus has some good cardio. He had, he had to be. He was in shape, man. I mean, you look at the geography of the place. Imagine we're really blessed in the Quad Cities. If you think about, uh, when I think about the story, I often say, think about if you're at the top of Longview and there's this valley right there separating you uh, from where the bridge is at. If you're at Longview, you can see the bridge. This was an everyday route for Jesus, just walking up and down this thing. And, you know, I went sledding. I had to brag on this. We had just had that snowfall. It was weird. We built a snowman that morning. We sled it that day, and I went on a bike ride later because it was warm. <laughs> First time in my history I ever did that. I just did it so I could say, like, I did all this in, in one day. But uh, the sledding didn't last that long, yo. We went down a couple times, and I was so winded coming up that hill. It wasn't like the old Chris, you know? I was just not just running up the hill like, yay, let's go again. I was like, hey, I think it might be time to go. We... We, we did it, <laughs> you know, so we went a few times, but uh, yeah, there was, there's this geography that plays a significant role in this story because you can imagine Longview kind of being this Mount of Olives and, and Jesus has to, he's, you can see the holy city, right? I know it's kind of funny, but we can picture our bridge being where the holy city would be. We're marveling at this place, but you got to get there. Right? No Ubers, no Metrolink, <laughs> no, hey, come pick me up here. And Jesus, his mode of transportation is very interesting, and we're going to talk more about what that means in the big picture of God's word and the story today. Well, on the road, Jesus took a traveler, would arrive first to Bethany and then come to Bethpage, which was about two miles from Jerusalem. Uh, as I said before, geography plays an important part just to kind of visually see this. The elevation at this point is about uh, 2,600 feet. And from it, you have this breathtaking view of the holy city. Uh, Greg mentions a little bit about this last week. But since it was Passover, um, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus notes that there were most likely hundreds of thousands of people in and around Jerusalem to remember, to celebrate Passover and what God had done in Israel's history and setting them free. And it's worth noting also that up to this point in Christ's ministry, Jesus was about to do something that he hadn't done before, something that he had repeated, repeatedly warned others not to do for him. He was going to allow his followers to give a public demonstration of his honor. So in this passage, we see that Jesus sends two disciples to get an animal, a colt. And he instructs them in verse 2 and 3, untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. Uh, in Luke's gospel, the disciple unties the animals and some, someone questions them. The disciples respond exactly how Jesus asked them to and the people, people let them go. Verse 7 and 8, when they brought the animal to Jesus, they laid their cloaks on the colt and Jesus sat on it. And at this moment in the passage, verse 8 says, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. There were other folks that cut down branches from trees, and the book of John helps us to understand the kind of branches 
not just regular branches, but leafy palm branches. And they took them, laid them along the streets headed to Jerusalem. When I was in, uh, uh, when I was on this trip, we had a chance to get baptized in the Jordan River. And our bus driver was really cool because he was positioning himself um, in this place along the river that wasn't crowded. There wasn't a whole bunch of um, tourists and stuff like that. It wasn't those places, because there's places that you can, it's like a Six Flags ride. You could pay and get in line, and they'll take your picture, and you'll go like, yeah, I want that picture. You know, so I've been on the rides, and you got a crazy picture. And it's like, no, I don't want to buy that. But there's places where you pay, and you, our bus driver's like, I'm going to take you to a place. Nobody goes over here. We almost got stuck. But <laughs> we went over there, and it was really cool because we're, we're getting out, and he had palm branches down. We got off the bus, and I was like, yo, this dude really wants a tip. <laughs> but uh, it was a really cool experience to this. He wanted to honor our experience in us getting out this bus and going to this and having this holy experience together. So it was a sign of humility, a sign of paying homage to this king as he was on this young colt. And it doesn't seem very kingly for a king to show up riding on a donkey or a stinky animal, but for Jesus, this was the choice of what I like to call his royal ride, right? In an article back in a sports column in 2019, um, a sports writer had followed up with uh, the grand entrance of an NBA star, Kawhi Leonard at the time, who he was rolling into his NBA games in a 20-year-old 1997 Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> and they said, why uh, do you keep this thing going? Like, why do you keep this thing? For him, there was a bigger picture. He said this, he's had this uh, car since high school, and he simply said, it's paid off, <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> he said it's paid off, and I like it for him, it was, you know, not what everybody expected that he should roll up in. But for him, he had a simpler idea. He wasn't projecting that everybody should do it. But for him, the value and the sentimental value of it meant everything to him to keep this car that probably was only worth about a thousand bucks. Even with some of the updates that he put on it, he still kept it simple. I even had to Google what it looked like. I'm like, of course he had to, like, pimp it out or something. And it was like, no. I mean, he could be riding around Rock Island and we didn't even know right now. <laughs> But again, for him, there was a bigger picture with his decision. And to, with Jesus, there's a much bigger picture than coming adorned with uh, this monetary entrance of gold and all these things. Something that's helpful to know about reading um, the Gospels. And the book of Matthew uh, has this story. The book of Matthew kind of primarily written for a, Jew, Jew, a Jewish audience. But the book of Mark that we're in right now um, does a lot in explaining these Jewish customs. And uh, some scholars say that the book of Mark was kind of cast at a wider net to some folks that might not be as familiar with these Jewish customs. But nevertheless, it's important because it gives shout outs to Old Testament narratives and uh, which a lot of times we can easily in the New Testament be caught up with these these things and forget about some of the traditions of the old and how it connects to the bigger picture. And I usually say uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of times we think of 
of uh, God's story as, okay, we got Genesis, the fall, then we got sin, then we got Jesus, and he dies, and he comes back, and we all go to heaven. There's a story. Oh, we got to come to church all the time and hear this, Greg. <laughs> Same thing, right? But we miss out on the bigger picture of how God's story continues to move through his people. And even through this grand entrance, he's continuing this narrative that started way in the Old Testament. So it's easy for us to miss out on the beauty of how God partnered with his people in the past to get to this point in the story today. When we think about Moses, Noah, Ruth, Rahab, Naomi, Esther, David, Solomon, and how all of this leads to the need for God to send himself as Jesus, the king, to show up right here at this specific spot to begin kind of this transition in the story that's ultimately going to bring his people forgiveness. All of the workings that he done through people, through prophets, through everybody, through men and women, I should say that loudly, gets to this moment where he's coming in and popping up on a donkey. There's a bigger story, amen? A donkey was a sign of humility and a sign of peace and a sign of Davidic royalty. So when Jesus comes into the city, he's not riding on a horse. It's also safe to note that in Matthew, in this part of this, in the gospel, Matthew 21, 4 says, Jesus did this to fulfill prophecy. If we flip back to the Old Testament in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, long before Jesus was born, the prophecy was foretold, and every promise that God makes, God keeps. Amen? And we'll get a little bit more of that in a, in a moment. And one clue that people of Jerusalem recognized this connection, again, is that when they saw Jesus riding on the colt, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David, Hosanna in the highest. They shouted Hosanna, which means save now. An interesting perspective is sometimes I wonder what the group, you know, there's different people in this group, all these thousands of people, but have you ever thought about what the Romans were thinking? What were the Romans thinking as they watched these festivities? Because Romans knew how to party. They were experts at Party City parades, official public events. So in the Bible, it's, it's interesting and ironic that this is called the triumphal entry, but no Roman soldier would have used this term. An official Roman triumph was a big show, like for real, for real. Because back then when a Roman general would come back to Rome after a huge victory and they slaughtered, you know, they conquered their land, the, another land and captured folks, they were welcomed with an elaborate official parade. In the parade, he would exhibit trophies of war and even show off the illustrious prisoners that they captured. The victorious general would ride in a gold chariot, and priests would burn incense in his honor, and people would shout his name and praise him. 
and the parade would end in an arena where the people would be entertained by watching the captives fight with wild beasts. That was a Roman triumph. And this is cool. Our Lord, the King of Kings, his triumphal entry was not like that, but Jesus flipped the script. God's anointed King and Savior, but his conquest was a militaristic. Amen? His victory would be spiritual. It was said that a Roman general had to kill at least 5,000 enemy soldiers to, to, to merit a triumph. But in a few weeks, as we heard in the Gospel of Mark, we hear the countless stories and stories about how Jesus' love didn't conquer, but it overcame 5,000. It overcame and love infiltrated, and the victory of love was conquering all. Amen? God's love was triumphant. And after looking into the temple where Jesus would return after this, this big, you know, celebratory thing, Jesus left the city and spent the night in Bethany where it was safer and quieter, and he spent time praying with his disciples, seeking to prepare them for the difficult week that lay ahead. There was this big celebration. There's people that was looking like, this ain't no real celebration, what is this? There was other people that was expecting it. There was people that heard, uh, you know, he was kind of just messing some other people up, like this isn't how it's supposed to be. You have all these mixed emotions, but at the end of the day, God was setting stage for this redemptive story that still plays out in our lives today. So I want to close this out with a couple things, because if Jesus is king, We should recognize his sovereignty, recognize his true power by laying our hearts down before him, throwing down our lives as surrender and ask Jesus to govern how we think and, and how we move and explore what that means for us by worshiping not just through song, but through our lives. Two, two final thoughts here. The first is, what does it look for us to, to trust Jesus to complete his story and work in and through us, even when it doesn't look like the way that we thought? Because there had to be people that like, this ain't the way, this is not the way. And Jesus is amongst them. Jesus was there. Jesus is like riding around this thing like, I'm here. And people are like, this ain't it. And if we're honest, many of us in here would be, we have these points in our life where we'd be like, this ain't, this ain't how it's supposed to be. This ain't how it's supposed to be. I really want to bring it home. Uh, there's a group of poems that I wrote, just small poems. And uh, as many of you know, I did full-time ministry for 15 or whatever, 20, 15 years or something. And... Uh, uh, there were some, some, some dark times that I had just trying to figure out my story. As I'm doing ministry, and it would seem on the outside that this is all great, man. Chris is doing all this great stuff in the community. I had this internal battle where I was just like, 
this ain't, this ain't how it's supposed to look. You know, my girls are getting older. I'm trying to figure out if I still want to do this. Is it time for a career change? And I'm like, Jesus, this, where are you at? Where are you at? I wrote a group of poems I'm going to share, a couple poems. And these poems have never really seen the light of day. And I talked to a good friend. He said, yo, these might not ever be for the stage or anything, but just wrestle with them. So these have just been kind of tucked away for years as I was just uh, crying out to God, thinking about my family and thinking about where, where, how am I trying to navigate these things? They don't even have titles. I'll just get into this one. When parents say, I hope you have kids that turn out just like you, what the heck? Why are y'all asking God to boomerang our children through pain and trials just to watch how we have to handle hardships? Y'all really hope that all that returns our way? Like, I'm guessing this is, which, this is why y'all spent so long teaching us how to catch, how to watch what's headed our way, how to move accordingly, to extend open arms, and when things go down, we will pull them close to our hearts. Well, I see the boomerang coming back, y'all. And you best believe my hands are ready. I'm bracing for impact. And you best believe I'll do my best to catch them as you did catching me. One morning I wrote, I'm so sad right now. My emotions are at high speed, zooming laps within my soul, heart racing, body breaking, trying to keep up with the speed of me without a lane for help. But a crew that cheers is near, and their prayers are fuel. They refill my emptiness as I steer towards another day, and I just hope that I can make it because it seems like there's so many more laps to come. One morning, I just woke up sad. I didn't feel like God was even there, and I said, today I woke up laughing. The funny thing is, ain't nothing funny about the reality that I woke up to. But I really woke up laughing, and now I'm understanding the genre of this moment in my life. I'm living through a season of dark comedy. Last poem I'll share. Just to see my daughter smile through difficulties is a beautiful thing. I see them wading through clouds of confusion, through foggy futures and unsure steps. And I get it. I'll walk with you. And sometimes y'all won't even invite me on your journey, and I get that. But just know it's difficult to see you pushing through puddles of pain, navigating the noise of thunder. Yesterday, I seen the lightning in your sky strike your footsteps and spark sorrow. My daughters, this is all hitting so close to home. But please know that I'm here. Let me help you take cover. Just know that I'm near when you see me. Just know I ain't even mad at y'all if y'all run towards me and just use me as your shelter. And I promise I'll let God's strength just allow me to shelter y'all if y'all let me. And I read these. 
I don't know if I'll ever get a award, award for best father of the year or nothing like that, and I don't want it. However, I thought about how our father loves us even more than my cheesy poems. Our father is there in our story when it doesn't seem like it. In front of thousands and thousands, the Heavenly Father sent his son, and there was a lot of people that didn't even really understand that he was right there amongst them, riding through, because for them, it wasn't supposed to be like that. This might not have to do with the original Palm Sunday message that you might hear at another church, but I couldn't get past this part because I thought to myself that there's people that are under my voice that just feel that Jesus ain't riding into their story at all or doesn't care to. How can we learn to trust God to complete the story within us and through us? It's just a question. It's a challenge for me as I was challenged during that time. And I am happy to tell you after a few years I did, I, I'm able to look back and see how, how God uh, sent himself in, insert himself in my story when I needed him most. But you may be in here in a different place with God than you were before or wondering what it would look like now that things have changed in your life. And I'm just asking, don't give up on allowing God to finish your story, on allowing God to finish what he started. It might look different. It might not look like what you had hoped. But God is there. And secondly, how can we trust Jesus to lead our next steps, even a little bit more. See, when, when it came time to take our first child home from the hospital, we remember uh, it was December, and we just had an ice storm, and we stuffed her in this car seat. It looked like she was in a cave, because we had the, <laughs> the car seat was so big, it looked like, and we had all this, this big old onesie, and I remember I just wanted to drive home so slow, and I'm, <laughs> I wanted to put the hazard lights on, you know what I'm saying? Like you just want, life is so fragile at that moment and you want, you know, I, I probably was the most attentive driving ever. The next scary day with your kid in the car, when they turn 16, <laughs> now you're handing over the keys. Now they're moving from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. It's a scary moment. <laughs> All right, well, I experienced that, and uh, and we're getting through it. However, it, 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 it was it was reminding me of uh, these seasons in my life where there's many times where I recognize that I need to give the keys back to Jesus and allow Jesus to lead. Because truth be told, we like Jesus in the car, <laughs> we like Jesus around. Right? Hey, turn the radio up. Hey, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus is like, yo, let me ride. Let me, can I? I don't know where you're going to take me. Good try. <laughs> Just be here. But I don't know if I want you steering the, the vehicle. How can we get to a place where we can trust Christ leading for us? I know in the African American church, we say, Jesus, take the wheel. 
right? But in reality, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us to allow Jesus more control, I would say? Because I'm not going to say total control. You'd be like, ah. maybe this season you're asking, how can I just trust Christ to lead more in relationships or family stuff or, or finances or, or whatever the case may be for you? These little baby steps could end up in some huge, huge victories that you could experience in your life coming closer to Christ. So I would challenge myself and all of us during this season to think about what we can lay down um, in, the, in the area, in the arena of control. And as I mentioned first, not to forget that Jesus is a part of our story and how can we have faith and put hope in God to allow him to continue the story that he would like to work in and through us? Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your triumphal entry and what that means for us today as a church. I pray, God, that as we fellowship through song and, and word and a little fellowship, God, that uh, your word may have brought us closer uh, to you. And I know the challenges that, um, that I spoke of are continuing to be challenging to myself. And as a church, Lord, I, I pray, God, that, uh, man, that we can learn what it means to, to trust you with our stories and to hand over the keys to some of the things in our life, God, uh, to trust you to navigate. Uh, may we uh, continue to keep our uh, just attentive to the Spirit this week as, as Holy Week and we're approaching Easter. And uh, may we uh, just continue to try our best to be in tune uh, with how you could move and work through us during this time. In your name I pray.